Welcome to the podcast in search of the perfect movie soundtrack. When the movie needs the soundtrack as much as the soundtrack needs the movie. I'm Josh Weber. I'm Heather Samples. And I'm Matt Lombardi. Join us this week as we learn the true story of the famous Jamaican outlaw, Ivanhoe Martin. Debate the greatest movie title tracks of all time. And find out just how far Heather is willing to go to have Chris Christopherson all to herself. America's number one cult movie. Jimmy Cliff, an existential hero as good as anything James Dean or Brando portrayed in the 50s. Crawdaddy. In the backyard of paradise, life and marijuana are cheap. More guts, wit, humor, and sheer exuberance than most movies you'll see in any one year. Vincent Canby, New York Times. Keep on fighting for the things I want. Though I know that when you're dead, you can't. Best rock movie of the year. Rolling Stone, L.A. Times, Cream. Ooh, 1972's The Harder They Come, directed by Perry Hensel and starring the legendary Jimmy Cliff, the singer and songwriter responsible for half the album. Uh, This movie and soundtrack is a very big deal. It's the first foreign feature film to come out of Jamaica, and the soundtrack is often credited as introducing the world to reggae, which is hard to believe was somehow almost non-existent in late 1960s, early 1970s. Uh, There are some exceptions. We'll talk about those later. But this soundtrack, to me, is a Stone Cold classic. Um, Any top albums list, when Rolling Stone does that, um, any top soundtracks list, uh, it's always in the top 20. It's got a really um, cool history, and it's a great record. And just last year, the Library of Congress selected this record for preservation in the National Recording Registry. Hmm. Which is strange, because that's also the goal of this podcast. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about this. Um, I love this record. I just, sometimes I pick things with an agenda, or I think it's an important moment in the world of soundtracks. Um, This is, but I also just picked it because I've always loved it. Except, my relationship with it has always been as a record I really like. I actually have never seen the movie until this week. This is basically a Jamaican crime movie. It kind of reminded me of like... We've seen this movie before where, um, I don't know, it's kind of like Scarface a little. Basically, a young man named Ivanhoe Martin. He goes by Ivan. He's, yeah, it's a hell of a name. Heather's going to clue us in on where that reference comes from a little later. Um, but he's from the country with big city dreams. He goes to Kingston. He wants to become a big famous singer. It doesn't work out. Life is harder than the city. All the systems are corrupt from the government, the church, law enforcement. He turns to a life of crime. He slashes a guy's face up for stealing his bicycle. <laughs> he kills some policemen, and he becomes a folk hero. And then the local record mogul and radio station starts playing his music because he becomes this folk hero, and he gets no- notoriety by being outside the law. After having lowballed him for yeah. uh, recording the, the hit single knowing all along that it was going to be worth a hell of a lot more than he paid for it. Because they know it's good. So so add add the recording industry to your list of Corruption. corrupt yes. institutions. <laughs> That's a good point. So we've got the recording industry, the church, the police, and yep. the, um, the government. The government. And then just random con artists fucking with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, con artists. Yeah. So the, yeah, everybody's everybody's bad. 
So he's got no choice but to turn to a life of crime. And it pays for a while because he becomes a huge star. They start playing his music, but it all ends in tragedy. As a life of crime always will. (laughs) (laughs) And The Harder They Come is also the title of the theme song written for this movie. Later in the episode, we're each going to name our favorite movie title tracks of all time. Then we're also going to name our favorite lead performances in a movie by a real singer or musician. Because this movie has both. It has a title track written for the movie by the singer, and then a singer-musician who becomes a lead in a movie. Can I introduce a third category? Um, movies where the porn parody title is exactly the same as the title of the film. <laughs> <laughs> You can get it if you really want. You can get it if you really want. You can get it if you really want, but you must try. Try and try. Heather, there's some history here where I was referencing with the name before. Do you want to tell us a little about that? Yeah. So Ivanhoe Martin, the character in The Harder They Come, is based on a, a real person. One of whose aliases was also Ivanhoe Martin. But in becoming a folk hero in Jamaica, uh, he's most often referred to as Rajin, Rajin, R-H-Y-G-I-N. Like in the Patois, it sounds like raging, I guess. Oh, cool. And also kind of means like crazy wild dude. Um, and And his story is, I think, like... Such a perfect canonical example of the like anti the local anti hero. He's like totally a Bonnie and Clyde kind of figure. He uh, is born in the twenties and dies in uh, a police shootout when he's twenty four years old in nineteen forty eight, and uh, and and really the movie tracks his story relatively closely, except for the fact that he was not a musician. And his life ended in the 40s rather than the 70s. He's, you know, a huge, a hugely known figure in Jamaica by the time that Perry Hensel decides to to make this movie. Which is like 50 wow. years after his death. Or no, I guess 30 years after no, his death. No, 30 years. 30 years but, after well, his death. Well, yeah. 25 years. 20 okay. years. It's still a long time to be a legend, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also maybe it's like important to know that Perry Hensel and his wife Sally are... Uh, like they're the colonizers, um, but they grew up in Jamaica um, and had, you know, had like formative experiences in Jamaica, even though they're white and and are a- as interested in this story as any other Jamaican would hmm. be. Um, I, I I didn't realize. I mean, I knew that the movie was like based on a true story, but I guess I didn't realize how closely. That's actually like a lot of what happens in the movie. I think I told I think I told you guys this, but like this movie was assigned to Andy, my husband, in art school to watch three times in a row, as though like the transportive nature of like forcing yourself to watch this movie would would like change your vision. <laughs> and then we actually ended up having uh, going to Sally Hensel's hotel, which she built by herself. Uh, with Perry before he died. Wow. Um, in Jamaica. At, in Jamaica as our honeymoon. Oh so, my God. That is amazing. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> wow. Podcast surprise. Where we listen to The Harder They Come and 
didn't need any further help, I guess. Uh, all right. <laughs> in uh, is that category three in, that Joshua in mentioned? In Jamaica, yeah. Um, so um, this movie has amazing. like a, a lot of mythology wow. in my household. I had no, I had no idea. I will say I highly recommend Sally Hensel's hotel. It's like a little collection of beach cottages in Southwest Jamaica in like a pretty rural part of the country where things are really arid and dry and the beaches aren't sandy. They're rocky. <laughs> and so it's like kind of in the middle of nowhere. Huh. Everybody should check it wow. out. Go, ha- go have a honeymoon at Jake's in Treasure Beach, Jamaica. All right. And then we'll cue the uh, commercial that we're going to sell to Jake's in Treasure <laughs> Beach. Uh, go get them on the phone. Well, let's talk about the viewing experience. I have you ever seen this before, Joshua? No, I have not. Me neither. What did you think? I both really liked the movie and also had a little bit of trouble staying awake for the last 45 minutes of it. Um, It is like one of my favorite eras of filmmaking. um, And it looks like that era of filmmaking. I mean, it's like the film stock and the... The the exploitation era of the 70s, you mean? Yeah, Yeah. the exploitation era, kind of. And then like the late 60s art era. I mean, it looks a lot like... um, uh, Midnight Cowboy and Easy Rider and then you know into the 70s when the, when the starts getting that stuff starts getting schlockier too. I love all mm-hmm. that stuff. I love the crazy editing in it. I like that there's like not a lot of rules in the sense of like the filmmaking isn't very formal. It's like we'll just put the camera wherever, we'll cut to whatever, we'll yeah. cut in any rhythm we yeah. want to cut. We'll do whatever we want to do. I love that stuff and I love the way that era of film looks. So I really really liked it a lot. And yet, at the same time, also, it's it's kind of long, and there's a point at which you're sort of like, what is yeah. going on in this it's movie? A, yeah. This has like gotten so wayward that I'm kind of like a little bored with it. The opening, the opening's great. Yeah, I I thought I thought it was a slog, and then I and then like it kind of got traction me with me again for like the third act when things were happening. The opening's cool. Uh, parts of the opening feel also like you're getting this documentary like glimpse into sure. Jamaica in the early seventies. It feels very real. And, um, it feels like there's more extras than actors in the movie at times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. By an order of magnitude or two or three. Yeah, no, it's, mm-hmm. it's great. And yeah. people just hanging out like in yeah. the background, having fun being in a movie. So it's got this great feel. And then it kind of just meanders around and you have no idea where it's going. And it's kind of just doing your, these like, I don't know. There's these weird moments that I think are supposed to shock you. It must have been pretty like cool and brash and uh, kind of um, edgy in the time when you saw it. When you see someone's like face get slashed up, or you see nudity and sex scenes and stuff like that. I think not only was it edgy, I also think you have to keep in mind that the people this, that this movie was actually made for knew the story. Yeah. Mm. They, they, yeah. It was like yeah. a fairy tale to them almost, and and so they had all the beats. So for for us watching the movie now from a different, completely different cultural moment and place and like like shared narrative history you're like wait what what's happening now this scene we just jumped in time and like now we're doing something else and it's it's hard to feel like a kind of like a immediacy time moves time moves very it's hard to track time in it 
leads to the most chaotic yeah. timeline yeah. imaginable. Yeah, and the choices are strange. All of a sudden, the characters make these choices, and you're like, what? Would he do that? Yeah. Why is he do doing that? that? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. But it's so yeah. hyper aware that when he gets to the big city and he starts hanging out with some friends, they go to the movies. What movie do they watch? This part is so great. Guys, they watch Django. Django yeah. Which people, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. obviously know from Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained referencing it. Um, so the movies, it's fun in the fact when you're watching it and you're watching these moves, it already showed you a bunch of people enjoying uh, exploitation movie in the theater. And of course, the foreshadowing, the famous line, don't worry, man, the hero never dies until the last reel, which is great because you know they're going to follow up on that. Ah. That's a 50-year spoiler. <laughs> if you haven't watched it and you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, should I watch it? I, I kind of have to be honest. Like, Only if you're the kind of film nerd who thinks to themselves, I need this this like in my brain somehow. I need to have I need to have seen this in order to like live my life honestly and ethically. It's actually not a terribly fun movie to watch, but it is an extraordinarily fun soundtrack to listen to. And I really couldn't believe that this guy that he was telling a lie. If you were having a party and you were only allowed to have like one album and you ended up with this one as your one album it wouldn't be the one you'd choose probably you'd probably choose outcast maybe maybe missy but if this were the one that you ended up yeah. with you'd be yeah. fine it would be a yeah. good party yeah well it's funny it you be, say that be because really i learned party. about this when i was in college and my roommate pat maybe he'll be listening right now he put it on and i didn't know it was a soundtrack for a while yeah there's no way that you would you would necessarily know that yeah and i was like oh cool jimmy cliff and then I realized there's other bands on it, and we would just put that on the background. It's the kind of album you can like play in a car ride, backyard barbecue, or like even if you're like cooking dinner and don't feel like listening to another podcast, <laughs> you just put it on and it's great. Of all the soundtracks we've listened to so far, it is definitely the one that is most um, just its own album. It's like, very cohesive. If this movie didn't exist with the album, the album would still work completely fine. It, would, it, it works like an album on its own. And maybe part of that is actually definitely part of that is that half the songs are from the same artist, right? That, like yeah. this is yeah. this is this is a little bit of a departure from where we've yes, been for sure. in in our other movies. In that, like, you know, half the songs are Jimmy Cliff, so it's still various artists. We haven't like completely abandoned that, but but it's definitely edging towards something different from what we have been watching and listening to. It's at the edge of of where we said we weren't going to go. <laughs> it's true. It is. Yeah. The, just to let people know what we're talking about, there's four Jimmy Cliff songs on here, and then the rest is various artists. And then at the end, there's, there's two alternate versions of the Jimmy Cliff songs. Um, but you have like, what, five other bands on here? Anyway, let's, 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 talk, about, let's talk about these songs. Yeah. Heather, what do you want to talk about on this album? Well, I, I mean... I don't know. I feel like because it is the title track, sure. we have to start with The Harder They Come. Right. 
how did it become a song and how did it become a movie and like how did they come together I think is like a pretty interesting question it's important too I think to remember that like Jamaica's kind of like a small town especially mm -hmm. in the 70s like everybody knows everybody it's it's like it, it, there's a it, it's not weird that Jimmy Cliff and Perry Hensel just kind of bump into each other and know each other socially and and you know they're friends so Jimmy Cliff comes up with the line no sound no music associated with it he just he just kind of says this line of poetry almost of like the harder they come hensel says that is going to be the title of my movie which i am going to make as uh, an update on the ivanhoe martin story and i want you to write a custom song for it um wait can i ask a stupid question real quick the harder they come, the harder they fall didn't exist before he said that? Not to my knowledge. But, I mean, I don't know. Now you're making me think I gotta look it up and be all fucking intellectual about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so fucking Jimmy Cliff, who's basically a reggae genius, goes off and, you know, comes up with this song that is really amazing. Mm -hmm. There are some fucking amazing covers of this song, by the way. That are, in my book, like, really unmissable. Uh, of course, Madness covered this song. Well, they tell me about the pie up in the sky Waiting for me when I die But between the day you're born and when you die No, no, no surprise there. Cher also covers the song oh wow yeah what uh, era what era share like mid 70s okay okay late 70s so after a few not not a whole long time after the movie comes out and they are the harder they come the harder they fall also the clash is is pretty into the whole mm -hmm. Ivanhoe Martin story themselves. They uh, Joe Strummer does a version of this song much later in life, but there's also a song about uh, um, about Ivanhoe Martin on London Calling, which is called "The Guns of Brixton." And if you uh, if you listen to those lyrics, you will see that that is that is another song about Ivanhoe Martin's life. Anyway, <laughs> the the best cover of the harder they come i'm gonna i'm gonna oh, cue sweet. it up for you guys i have no idea what you're gonna Counting play crows Ooh, double sweet <laughs> counting crows one inch punch <laughs> well they tell me of a pie in the sky oh yeah that's Wait willie for me when i die Oh, oh, I have yeah. heard this. But between Hell the yeah. day you're born and when you die, yeah. he's allowed. Will, Willie's allowed to pull it off. Wow. You cry. So what album is that? Uh, on? What album is that on? Uh, it's maybe like twenty years old now. Um, okay, so it's like an '80s song, '80s cover. No, oh, babe, twenty years ago was like <laughs> the odds. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, I, I do that too. I'm like, I subtract everything from 2000 still because we're, we're in our 40s and I'm like, oh. Um, anyway, I think it's a, I think it's like a really, it's a really great, uh, yeah. it's a really great version. And you yeah, that sounded wonderful. You should totally check it out. 
Um, it's really delightful. Anyway, I don't want to steal Jimmy Cliff's thunder, uh, but The Harder They Come is a great song. Many amazing musicians have agreed, everyone from The Clash to Cher to Willie Nelson, and Willie's version is is my fave. Yeah, because Jimmy Cliff is, I mean, he's a legend. I will I will say it's not actually my my favorite song on the, Ooh, what's on the your soundtrack. Favorite? I think that the... I I I really love the Many Rivers to Cross song, which is the most. It's the it's the most that's not like the like one of these things is not like the others is is the Many Rivers to Cross. Yeah, the Many Rivers to Cross song I think is so great because not only does it feel refreshing on the album because it's different from the others, but also it just has a a kind of soulfulness. Yes, and that that is like really hard to ignore and and feels like it could really uh wrap you up in a nice like cocoon of wallowing <laughs> if you were feeling really down and can i just um, add reminds you what a great singer jimmy cliff is he's got a great voice yeah really it i mean it sounds amazing that that's actually a really good point like the the vocals on it are are really kind of arresting many rivers to cross but I can't seem to find my way over. Wondering, I am lost as I travel along. Heather, I got, I got some research on the idiom for you. The harder they come, the harder they fall. Oh, yeah. What, what have we got? The bigger they come, the harder they fall has been around. The expression is believed to come from boxing and gain currency when boxer Robert Fitzsimmons used it in 1902 in a newspaper interview before fighting the much heavier James J. Jeffries. It just sounds like a David Goliath thing to say. But Jimmy Cliff went with the harder they come, which is kind of different than the bigger they come. Yeah. I think you can credit it yeah. for him then. Because there's a whole like, they're big, they'll fall hard. But he's like, how hard are they going to come at me? Or how hard are you going to go yourself? The harder they come is a better movie title than the bigger they come. Yeah. And I think he changed the definition. For sure. And also has a lot more to do with all of that, all of that corruption story, yeah. right? And, like, and also how hard Ivan is like fighting against all of that to be the, the artist he was yeah. born to be. Yeah. So I would definitely credit him with altering, redefining the um, idiom or expression. I, maybe it's already been said. I'm not sure. The, um, it's the only song on the soundtrack that was written for the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the others were actually hits in Jamaica that were recorded between 1967 and 1972. So they were like, here are some awesome hits that's right. we all love in Jamaica. Let's celebrate them. And then that's probably part of why it just caught fire and became so popular around the world because they were like, this album's amazing. And it was all their kind of like tested hits from the past five years and their best bands. There's a couple different shots of them watching movies. I don't know if they're all from the same moment where they're watching Django, but I, they return to it later. Um, anyway. I think they are all watching Django. I, I think we're supposed to see it that way anyway. I'm a big, big fan of old movie theaters and movie theater life, and I've, I've, I, I read up on it. It's definitely one of my uh, 
uh, rabbit holes that I'll go to on the internet is just like looking at forums that are about old movies and stuff like that and old theaters. And cool. um, uh, I have now on my short list of, of regrets is that I could never go see a movie in 1972 Jamaica because, <laughs> oh my God, the scene in that theater is chaos. I mean... Don't go to a movie in 1972 Jamaica if you want to hear what's happening on the screen. Everybody is just I don't just know. That looked really crazy. fun. Oh, though. it looked so fun. And can you imagine when this movie must have come out must in the theater? Insane. Oh, that must have been the best. Yeah. It must have been a party. Because yeah. it's like a whole country of see people seeing a very professionally made, um, you know, I, you can't say big budget, but, you know, a real budgeted movie with, with, with uh, ideas and a plot the whole way, you know, all the things you want from yeah. a movie that is featuring all of them and is in their language. Yeah. yeah. It's featuring yeah. all of them in their language, yeah. not anglicized. Like, and, and it's, it's about like one of their most well-known yeah. folk heroes. Like it's, no, I can't, I actually imagine. can't imagine what and, a massive, massive right, yeah. moment and it, it must've felt it's like. It's irreverent and fun. Oh, no, it's a very fun not, movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and not so trying fun. to do this yeah, yeah, like yeah. proper representation of they think what they think Jamaica oh, no, should look like. And if you read about it's made it, to put critics got mad. It's made to put butts in seats. I mean, it is it is yeah. made to entertain the people in that audience for sure. But I I read there was a split among critics where some critics were like, "This is the truth. It needs to be heard. This is real Jamaica." And then of course you always have that group of people who are like, "This makes." Um, jamaica look bad it puts them in a poor light it's too violent it's too sexual you know so you had that classic battle that everyone goes through which i thought was funny but if you're a young person in jamaica you just must be 100 percent on board with this cool crazy movie sure i love um um movies where the version of english that they speak is almost unrecognizable but it's like a uh, recognizable enough that like watching the subtitles and hearing what they're saying is itself very fun. I mean, there's, there's certain, uh, yeah. um, types of like Irish that, you know, like that does movies, that for me, yeah. that does oh, that for God. me too, where or you're watching it. It's just like, I'm just cracking up the whole time. Cause I'm like, I can hear what he's saying and I can see the subtitles and I can kind of hear it, but it's like this movie's doing yeah, that too. It, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really when fun. When the harder they come was released in New York, it was released with subtitles in theaters. That doesn't surprise um, me at all. I watched it with sub. I watched yeah. it with subtitles, which which was a really big deal uh, to to have subtitles on a supposedly English language movie. Um, I don't know how you could watch it without subtitles. It would. I mean, you wouldn't catch most of it. Yeah, I mean, Jamaican patois is hard to understand. Yeah, for someone who doesn't speak yeah. it. It sounds like an old movie too. It's not like miked beautifully and easy to. <laughs> True. It, there are also sound issues for sure. Then how are you going to get back to the country tonight? Not going back. Then where are you going to then? You can't stay here, you know, because I can't help you. I'm staying in town. Then you think town is easy? How are you going to live? I could make a record. I can sing, you know, mama. You take this thing for a joke? Well, I can't get a job then. Kind of job you can get outside the turn criminal. Why something like that? Why something like that about me? Don't ask me to face the question. Go back to country. So, I think um, Jimmy Cliff 
in the grand tradition of singers and musicians who then go on to lead a movie. I love him in this. He's not the best actor, but he's charismatic. He has a presence. I like when he does his mopey thing. I like when he's happy and laughing. Um, yeah, he's it's good just like it. believable. And then obviously when he's playing and singing, he knows how to do that because he's a famous um, singer and songwriter. So I was thinking, I don't know. I might put him in my top five for real singers who take the lead, not, not some side character cameo who lead the movie and play singers in the movie itself so i was wondering for you what any personal favorites of actual singer songwriters who then play actual singer songwriters or musicians as the lead in a movie it's kind of like it's a smaller category than i thought it would be what do you got so janet jackson and tupac in poetic justice don't count Mm -hmm. because they're not playing musicians right yeah a shame they should count well, that could be a different. No, different we'll, we'll do that. That's a different. That's a different podcast. <laughs> you have to be playing. Um, you know, you can't be a Madonna in a league of their own. You have to be playing <laughs> an actual singer, and you have to be the lead in the movie. It's a. It's a rare club. It's an uh, echelon. You guys have any good ones? The man with the golden arm, which Frank Sinatra plays, a heroin addicted drummer, and he's great. Yes, it's a great movie by Otto Preminger. I've seen it a bunch of times. Do you know that's a I Nelson Algren novel? I do. Want the first National Book Award winner. I read that in college, and watched the movie. Yeah, good, good. pick. I was not seeing yeah. that. I was like yeah. Whitney Houston bodyguard. <laughs> no, Sinatra. Sinatra. When Sinatra's good, he's very good. So where are you at, Heather? Do you have any favorites? Any memorable ones? Chris Christopherson was, is yeah, the pinnacle yeah, no, of he's, he's a stud. masculinity and 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 all forms <laughs> of sexuality. I wasn't asking for that, but we can do that category. He he's, he counts. <laughs> I mean, fuck Barbara. Honestly, I'm sorry. No, I know no, that you can't. You're not allowed I, to say I, that. I know I'm not. Because I'll tell you why. But like, finish your thing. Yeah, tell me why. Because why. She's so two boring. years ago. I'm sorry. I was home for Thanksgiving and like everyone went to bed and I was watching TV and funny girl came on and I've never seen funny girl before. And I ended up watching it and I was enchanted for the first time <laughs> in my life by Barbara Streisand. Enchanted. I thought she was so funny. She's downright enchanting. I thought she was so funny in it. And you know, to me, Barbara Streisand, it's like a punchline. It's an SNL skit. It's Babs. It's her later song. But seeing her breakout, and she was like, I found her so funny. I was attracted to her. She could sing. And I watched the whole movie, and I was like, oh, that's why Barbara Streisand became Barbara Streisand. Sometimes it's fun to see like the thing that everyone had to fall in love with to make someone a superstar. So, based on that, I will not let you besmirch your name on this podcast. <laughs> All right. I will not besmirch your name, but I will say that... Uh a star is born but you could just do two for one there you have both of them i don't want the two for one i just i just i just want christopherson i see this is a love triangle she's like i see yeah, this is i see what's going on she's going into the buy one get one and refusing yeah. the get one i don't i don't want the get one you can keep your fucking yeah get one. and she's trying to break them apart so she can have christopherson all for herself i see how That's this works right. that's right anyway i'll admit i don't actually think the movie is like that lovely yeah but I think he's great in it. Yeah. Any other mentions? I like these. I like Christopherson. I think it's a good one. I mean, I think the the like Big Kahuna is Purple Rain. No. Yeah, that's I, sure. ha- I have a yeah. 
Uh, Bing, Bing Crosby, White Christmas. Bing Crosby, White Christmas is a great one. <laughs> Rosemary Clooney's in that too, and she's also a singer. So. She's fantastic. But, I, but back then, he's going to be like, back then, people knew how to make a movie. Well, <laughs> well that is true, actually. But um, <laughs> but back then, people were so people did everything. Like when you were an entertainer, it meant you sang, you you danced, you did everything. You know, so it's yeah. like a little bit different than now, where there's like more like the lines are stricter about like, oh, you're a singer. And then every once in a while, a singer like does movies or something like that. But then- Or it's a huge deal when an actor is going to sing. There was a time yeah. when we had show business. Well, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the studios trained you in all of the skills. <laughs> I have one more, which is my pick. Are you ready? Yes, please. Lauren Hill at age six, 17. In Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Back in the Habit. <laughs> Holy shit. Full circle. <laughs> I can't believe I remember that. I got that. so excited but when yes, I found that. Lauren Hill is in That's Sister right. Act 2, Back nice. in the Habit. She's up there. <laughs> Walking down the road with the pistol in your waist. Young yet to bed. Walking down the road with the ratchet in your waist, Johnny and two Do you do you want to talk about a specific song that you enjoyed? Uh, no, not this week. I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, well, next week, the one I'm picking <laughs> actually might have the smallest scene in the movie, so I don't. You know, maybe it's not a good choice. But I really like Johnny Too Bad, which is by the Slickers. This song, Johnny Too Bad, comes on in a scene where uh, mm -hmm. Jimmy Cliff is in the plate in the uh, the preacher's uh, work shed or whatever they do for the preacher. It's very confusing, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that part is very confusing. But he's working on his bike or whatever, and the song comes on, and he's kind of got a lot of attitude. And so the other guy that he's been working with starts to call him Johnny Too Bad, um, mm -hmm. kind of making fun of him for thinking that he's real cool or something. Um, I like the title of the song. I think the song is fun. But um, I'm also uh, very interested in the the aspect of the song that is like um, borrowing a lot from sort of Western imagery. Um, you know, Johnny Too Bad sounds mm -hmm. like an old West hero. And, uh, you know, and, and it's the, one of the first lines is about he's walking around with a gun in his waist mm -hmm. or something like that. And uh, and yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. And I have been interested in that and other things in other cultures as well. The this sort of reach of the idea of the West that as it was popularized by Hollywood in the 50s and stuff like that. And so in this movie, you know, there's that song which predates the movie but you know obviously there's a little bit of a western vibe to that name and to the the outlaw nature of the character mm -hmm. and um you know they go see django in the movie theater and several of the comic books that get held up in the uh, course of the movie that you know he's he's that is one of the ways they use to signify that jimmy cliff is kind of like uh uh you know, living on the edges of society, if you will, right? He doesn't mm -hmm. want to do what the preacher wants him to do. He wants to read comic books and look at Playboy and things like that, right? So the co a couple of the comic books are Westerns. And um, yeah, so I was just sort of interested in this idea that um, the ways that other countries sort of adopted um, Westerns. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that Django is a spaghetti Western. 
So it's like, you know, an Italian Western that they're watching. So they're getting like an even, yeah, yeah, you're right. like a Western filtered through Italy, then to Jamaica that, that is like influencing them. The, apparently the guy who wrote Johnny Two Bads nickname was Batman. That's cool. <laughs> Doesn't go with the Western thing, but you know, it's the influence of American uh, stuff, you know, American pop culture, American entertainment. And you see it. In lots of different ways. I took a class in college on uh, called like the Irish Irish violence or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but there was a whole section on like how big the influence of the old West and the mythology of the old West was in their uh-huh. culture as well. And so then Westerns, the movies themselves, they're very influenced by Kurosawa and samurais and things like yep. this. I don't know. I'm just sort of interested in how like there's this weird influence that then also turns into other things and becomes, you know, whatever weird thing ends up being called Johnny Too Bad and that everybody's like, yeah, you're Johnny Too Bad. And it's just a cool name. I think that uh, everybody who was part of this movie has a have have like a very clear eyes about inherited or received mythologies like they they are living in an in an island nation Mm -hmm. a a colonized island nation everything uh that they don't make themselves comes to them and and is received through these other cultural lenses and and they're and what they're making themselves is uh is like held dear um until it's it's exported quite late mm-hmm. in in the history of Jamaica right it it it, c- it comes about pretty pretty late in the game and and i and i love this this these like layers of borrowing mythologies and and playing with them and keeping them going and i definitely think that Perry Hensel and Jimmy Cliff uh are really it's really clear when you watch the movie or listen to the album that they know that they are playing with fairy tales and oh, absolutely, yeah. and finding ways of making them new again um, and delighting people with the stories that they already know, but, but are like remixing it. That's a, mm-hmm. that's kind of a mm-hmm. foolproof formula. Yeah. But they're doing yeah. it with heart. No, that know? that's, yeah, that's, that's for sure. You believe in the world that you're being shown, even when you don't necessarily believe that the people are really in that world at this very moment. And what I mean by that is like, there's bad actors. There's some of these extras are not doing a good job and it's completely believable that they are real people in that world, even though it's not necessarily believable mm-hmm. that they're actors in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I get what you mean. You're like, you're aware <laughs> that there's a camera that's pointing <laughs> yeah. at them and that they're not supposed to look at it and they're looking at it, but it doesn't matter because it's like, it's like a documentary in the sense that it's like, no, no, this is how people are. This is, this is the way people look. This is the way people talk. And, and, you know, when people are really living their lives, they would look at the camera that's in the room. Yeah. I don't know. So there's a way that it feels very authentic. And, and as you're saying that very honest, I think the same thing happens in all the bar scenes, like all the dance yeah. hall scenes. Oh yeah. You can, you can just like see that these people just, they know how to show up at the local and throw yeah. down. You get, you yeah, get, there's a lot of dancing and you get a real, there's a lot you of get dancing. a real taste yeah. for it and nothing feels um, fabricated. It feels like they even might have just showed up that night and was like, "Hey, you guys are playing dominoes in this room. You guys are playing music in this room. You guys are hanging out here. Can we just shoot some of this?" And it seems very unplanned. Shoot 
just want to make a quick reference to um, 007 Shantytown by Desmond Decker. 007, you know, another reference to you know, mythology of other, yeah, absolutely. of other countries. Yeah, A James Bond reference. And also a big part of Jamaican culture. James Bond? So, Goldeneye was, uh, was written in Jamaica. Like he has a whole estate in central Jamaica up in the mountains. I had oh, no wow. idea. That's a great connection to okay. me. I was just referencing this song because right. when... In 1972, this album arrived. It's credited as um, bringing reggae music around the world and kind of finally showing this genre to everyone. But Desmond Decker had a big hit that went number one in the UK with um, a song called Israelites in 1968. Topped the charts. Hmm. Would you like to hear that song? I happen to have it queued up right here. Yes, please. Well, what a coincidence. Such service journalism. <laughs> That's what people want, Heather. It's what they want. So that every mouth can be fed. Get up in the morning, sleeping for bread, sir. So that every mouth can be fed. This went number one, and you can kind of feel the London swingers and hippies dancing to it at a party. Like you can see them being like, "Ooh, this song's cool." You can see you can see how Strummer and Cla- and the Clash are like into this yeah. stuff. Yeah, for sure. Sure. And yeah, yeah. there's also something about it, and I'm probably can't think of the song right now where i hear a little donovan i feel like donovan ripped something off but you can kind of hear you can kind of hear it's it's uh i buy that i mean it's definitely got it like that swinging 60s thing going on it kind of feels that way i mean it's totally reggae though but it's super catchy and in the u.s that actually went top 10 and sold two hundred thousand copies and so i don't know if people were absorbing it as um jamaican reggae or they thought it was like a cute novelty song yeah i think you can hear that and not even ever ask the question of what kind of music is this to me that that doesn't sound that different than than pop music of the era i mean it's got the upstrom thing that's going on no i mean i can hear it in there but i mean i think that your average person listening to the radio would just hear a a catchy you know like a cool interesting song yeah um anyway so my point was that Reggae was seeping in at that point, and then when the harder yeah. they came, come came, it's like a tutorial and a kind of beginner's guide to like this Jamaican genre, and it's pretty amazing that a little country can just like bust out this culture, and then everyone agrees like, oh wow, this is great, influences everyone, and inspires everyone. Matt, what song stood out to you? So, um, my favorite on this, and I think it's it's definitely my favorite because these past few days I've been humming or singing Pressure Drop by the Maytals or Toots. So much so that my five-year-old daughter was like, can you please stop singing that Pressure Drop song? That's rich coming from a five-year-old. <laughs> They're, they get obsessed with a song and never shut the fuck up about it. Oh, yeah, but she loves it. They love to exercise when like... 
they can find like you did something wrong or you're yeah, doing something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think because uh, my wife, my Emily, might have said it first. I mean, like, are you humming that song again? And then when she heard that, she was like, "Dad." <laughs> anyway, it's just been stuck in my head, um, and it's interesting because Frederick Toots Hibbert of Toots and the Maytals, he's the guy who wrote it. He actually said he wrote it after he went to jail himself. He said a bad time. I actually had to look it up. He said, it was a bad time. I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, oh shit, did he kill someone? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, possession of marijuana. Not a big deal, toots. Um, Anyway, he said after Jamaican, I thought this was interesting. After Jamaican independence in 1962, he said there was just a total new energy. Music was everywhere. He made his own guitar, learned how to sing and play music in the church. And then he just went from gospel to ska and rock steady, which was cool at the time. And eventually wrote this song, which became hugely popular and was covered. Also, another another song covered by a lot of people. But do you know what he means by pressure drop? I actually didn't until I read this. No. I thought it was kind of like a simmer down, everyone chill. It's a song about, um, he says, I'll quote him. He says, it's a song about revenge, but in the form of karma. If you do bad things to innocent people, then bad things will happen to you. Mm. And he said he started thinking in these terms after prison because he did not want to be a criminal himself um, and was more into music. And he said, if someone done me wrong, rather than fight them like a warrior, I'd say the pressure's going to drop on you. Ah. So that was kind of his like philosophy, like nice. this shit's going to come around karma, but it's like revenge through karma. The pressure's going to drop on you. So then it made me like the song even more. It's like outsourcing your revenge to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about, this is, I'm excited, I'm really excited about this, guys. Let's talk about title tracks, because this seems, I don't know if they exist as strongly as they used to, but this was a thing where a song would be written for a movie, but they would both have the same title, so it would be the theme song to the movie. So this isn't like Danger Zone being written for Top Gun, or digging up pretty woman and making a movie you have to have the idea for the movie and you ask someone to write the song and then they're one in the same so the harder they come is also jimmy cliffs the harder they come he wrote for the song and so i asked you guys what is your favorite title track for a movie i mean i think that existed i think everybody knows what the answer is if i'm playing to type (laughs) wow that makes oh man I'm not prepared to guess that, but that that's tempting. I mean, come on. Men in Black by Will Smith. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Pretty in Pink. No, no, it's not. <gasps> oh, okay. Oh, wait. Why isn't it Pretty no, in Pink? No, because Pretty in well, Pink no, because came, technically, out, came right. out. It yeah. wasn't written for the movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah you're right. It was not written yeah. for the movie. Can't. But, but you're close in the sense that like, I'm responsible for all the chick flicks in this little podcast we've got going on here. And... uh Obviously, I call them cinema, Heather. Please, <laughs> I I think I think guys, sorry, but it's like kind of obvious that the best one of all time is. <laughs> oh yeah. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition. Pour myself a cup of ambition. Pour myself a cup of ambition. Such a good. I know. I know. 
It really is so good. <laughs> I could literally sit here and sing this whole song with you. <laughs> Why are you stopping that? Like, I mean, just let's just roll that. Yeah, I, um, I immediately wanted to tie Dabney Coleman to a chair and torture him. <laughs> Do you want to hear a little bit about that yeah, song? Please. Do you know? Do you know where the song and the movie got their name? Yes, tell us. <laughs> so Jane Fonda uh, is is doing her uh, political Jane thing, and she meets with a Boston-based uh, women's organization that has named themselves Nine to Five, and they are a pretty significant labor organization. They've they've hooked up with major national unions, and they are finding a way to unionize pink collar workers, and. Uh, and she takes their name to Dolly when she uh, puts together this movie with Dolly and Lily and uh, and says, like, maybe maybe the movie is called Nine to Five and can you write us a song? Mm-hmm. Which, being Dolly motherfucking Parton, she does on set while she's, you know, in between <laughs> takes. <laughs> and uh, and it turns out that Nine to Five is actually the... the uh, up until that point, the only time that Dolly Parton gets a number one on the straight Billboard 100, separate from country oh, and adult that's contemporary, a great fact to know. And uh, and the movie, I like. Look, we we've all decided uh, collectively as a culture in the last few years that yes. Dolly is like virtually untouchable, yeah. and I don't disagree with any of that. I, I back it. I back it all. Um, watching Nine to Five these days is a little. You, you will find that it, it feels really dated. Sure, but at the same time, the song doesn't. Mm. The song is fucking great. Yeah, the song is still true. It's still real. It's still like very, uh, very relevant. Imagine how crazy it was to everybody involved in nine to five when they're like, okay, this is really cool. Dolly's going to be in this movie and she's, you know, she's proving to be really good in it. You know, she's, she's fun to watch. This is all working out really well. And she's going to do a song and, you know, Hey, we all love Dolly. That's so cool. But you know, Dolly's not, Dolly's a country artist, you know, and this, this is a mainstream movie, right? So it's like, yeah, and it, it's also Dolly's first movie. It's the first time. Yeah, she'd yeah, ever yeah. No, I know. So, yeah. so, but by the time that she shows them this song, cause I guess I know a little bit about the story, you know, she's already working on the movie. So they know, you know, they know she's, mm-hmm. she's nailing it. She's good. Um, but like for her, when she came in and like sat down and like picked up that acoustic or may- maybe played him a tape, she recorded whatever it was. I don't know the moment. Good Lord. Can you imagine when you're like, oh my God, she just wrote. A goddamn hit. Yeah. Not only did she write a goddamn hit, but the typewriter sounds in the song mm-hmm. are are she like layered that bit of the soundscape of the song in by tapping her like Lee press on <laughs> acrylic nails onto the table while she was yeah, writing. The song. I mean, oh, that's how, so good. I mean, I, the movie probably would have been a cultural, uh, culturally significant moment anyway. But it's it's hard to know to what extent it would have been with if it wasn't also accompanied with a song so big yeah. that I you know I was very very young at the time and I have the memory of how big that song was. Oh, my second wave working mom used to sing that song in the car driving me to school in the morning. Yeah, it was just a song that ev- literally everybody knew. Yeah. 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 I must it must have elevated that movie. What's your favorite title track written for the movie? Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. I was bruised and battered, I couldn't tell what I felt I was 
Unrecognizable to myself I saw my reflection in a window And didn't know my own face Oh brother, gonna leave me Wasting away the streets of Philadelphia I'm not a very big Bruce Springsteen fan. And um, so for me at the time, what was so remarkable to me uh, about this song was um, that I liked it so much. That I really, that I really liked it a lot. Like it came on MTV and it was played a lot. I, I, the movie was great, um, and then I was like, "Dang!" Like I really like this. And then years later, Bruce Springsteen does the song to a, the, the the wrestler. Now it's not called the wrestler, but it's like the theme song mm-hmm. in the movie. I and I was that. and I loved that. And I was like, maybe I love. Bruce Springsteen's movie songs. Fuck Nebraska, fuck the river. I think that's two songs. (laughs) So I've got a really short Bruce Springsteen mixtape here. Missed his calling. Well, I heard some people talking recently and they were, they were, they were, these were Springsteen fans who were naming their least favorite Springsteen Mm -hmm. song. And they all agreed that Streets of Philadelphia was pretty high on the list. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty on brand that I would like it so (laughs) much. Yeah, I always thought that was just like (laughs) kind of a middling late era Springsteen song. No, it's no, it's no Nebraska, dude. I'm actually gonna pull off a two for one here because in fact streets of philadelphia is not really the song in the movie that has the same name as the movie that would be neil young's philadelphia wait 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 wait. now i'm confused this is great yep so streets of philadelphia is the name of the song you're kind of breaking the rules a little (laughs) because the movie is called philadelphia movie right but in this soundtrack is my real pick my real pick is the Neil Young song, Philadelphia. Neil Young? <laughs> that was such a great smokescreen. Yes, which I love. You tricked us. Wait, what's the Neil Young song, Philadelphia? It's it's a beautiful song. It's really beautiful. And it has a more emotional role in the movie as well. It's a really beautiful song at a beautiful moment in the movie. Very powerful. It it, it didn't it wasn't the MTV song for the movie, but it actually plays it plays a bigger role in the movie. And he wrote it for the movie? Yes. Yeah. I love this. I don't know this song at all. Let's listen to it. You're going to cry. This is why we do this podcast. Remember what the movie's about, too, while you're thinking of, you know, so you can feel that. I've got my friends in the world. I had my friends when we That is a beautiful... I'm definitely going to listen to that after this podcast. That's a beautiful song. Yeah. I'm also going to play that at your funeral. That's how... (laughs) That is outrageous. I had no idea. It's really good. Well played, Joshua. Always full of surprises. (laughs) All right, Matt, you go. All right, so I'm going to pick, obviously, the best song out of all of these. And there was a time in 1984, for three weeks during the summertime in August, this was number one. And I think the only song allowed on the radio that, that tracks because that tracks, I remember it was just played everywhere. And to me, it is the epitome of movie song success. And that beautiful, beautiful song is Ghostbusters <laughs> by Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> Ghostbusters! Something strange in 
your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Do you guys remember the music video? I do not. That, Heather, do you? Oh, yeah. I can't believe Joshua hasn't seen this. I I guarantee you I saw it. I I don't remember it. Oh, you don't remember it. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's just like a dark room with like fluorescent shapes, like a fluorescent window and a fluorescent door. And Ray Parker Jr. is just walking around. And then there's a woman who's like sometimes in her underwear walking around because it's an 80s video. But In her panties? Oh, yeah. <sighs> every episode, you got to say it. You got to say it. Cute it up. I mean, Matt, Cute you took yes. me up every time. I'm sorry. She is in her underwear. <laughs> her doors. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Her pantaloons. Anyway, so the treat of this video, especially when you're a kid, is obviously the song is the refrain is who you going to call and then they yell ghostbusters so the fun of the video is every time they say who they call someone pops into like a little fluorescent square screen and has a cameo and just yells ghostbusters so i decided to look into this and i want to read to you who shows up in this video love it yelling ghostbusters and it's a really funny strange list for 1984 some make sense like chevy chase obviously um because he's friends with them Irene Cara, who's that? Which who you might know, who wrote the song for Flashdance and Fame, oh, okay, and was in it. John Candy, yes, <laughs> this one's great. Melissa Gilbert, what? who um, known for playing Laura Ingalls Wilder oh, okay. in the NBC series Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. I don't know why she's in there. And then um, I don't know Ollie E. Brown. He was um, in a band. Well, this is a real a cavalcade called, of stars. I, wait, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor. George Went. Wow. Norm from Cheers. Yep. Al Franken. Okay. Danny DeVito. Carly Simon. All right. And then Carly this Simon. is my favorite one. This is the best one that everyone forgets. Peter Falk. Columbo yells <laughs> Ghostbusters. And they say, who are you going to call? Columbo says Ghostbusters. And then finally, Terry Garr. Um. Yeah, Terry, Terry Gar. Uh, that is a great 1984 time. Great, uh, one of the all-time greats. David Letterman guests Terry Gar. Mm-hmm. But she had the couch chemistry. Julia Roberts ended up taking her place in the 90s, in, in terms of like the 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 level of the flirt between them was just it was so adorable. They genuinely really adored each other, and Terry Gar was just such a fox. <laughs> I think if you just walked up to any human on Earth and said, "Who are you going to call?" Yeah, they will say. Ghostbusters. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But I don't know if that means it's great. It just I, means it's I think you're right universal. about that, Matt. When, yeah, when, I was, uh, when I was hanging out at the roller rink every weekend that, at that time of my life, you, the, when Ghostbusters came on, everybody would change the direction that they were skating <laughs> oh, nice. in. Also, the stupidest song that sounds like someone wrote it in five minutes, too. <laughs> the song... It was plagiarized from Huey Lewis and the News. I want a new drug. That's they, right. They That's settled, right. They settled out of court. Oh. Okay. And we're also going to have to settle this here and we're going to have to play them back to back and let people decide. <laughs> Did he steal it or not? <laughs>
to earn our explicit rating, I was playing the video and I was getting into it. And my daughter was in the room, my wife, and I loved this song as a kid. And at one point, Ray Parker Jr. says, Bustin' makes me feel good. <laughs> and my wife is like, ew, Matt. And I was like, what? And then I paused and I had never thought of that as a double entendre or a dirty, oh, Matt. It's a dirty so- line ever. Is that a famous dirty line yes. that people joke thought, about? I never thought about it. Oh my it. God, you guys. I would have thought, uh, I, I really would have thought, Matt, that that this would not be your first time realizing. Not until I said it in front of my five-year-old daughter. We were innocent and fine. And then my wife looked at me like, oh, disgusting. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> Final question. I think we know the answer. Which was better, movie or the soundtrack? Or is this the perfect movie soundtrack? There is a there is a version in which you can argue that this is the perfect movie soundtrack because the soundtrack is 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 perfect for the movie. The soundtrack itself is wonderful. The movie is maybe not wonderful, but the movie's good and very culturally significant. Um, but I feel like, in a way, to say that this is the perfect movie soundtrack almost like lowers the bar a little bit because the the soundtrack is is such a small focused genre. That it's not mm-hmm. like much of a challenge that this so- that this soundtrack succeeds. It's 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 ten big hits of one particular sound designed for one particular movie. It all fits in like one piece. It's it's really really good. It works really really well. But I, I think that like uh, it would almost be a little too easy to give this the title of perfect movie soundtrack. I agree. So, I no. feel like it's an iconic soundtrack. I would choose the soundtrack over the movie and therefore it is not the perfect movie soundtrack. Heather, what do you think? I think in some ways it's, it's a, a very well curated, like adjunct to the larger project, which I think had at least something to do with like, let us put this beautiful culture Mm -hmm. that we made Mm -hmm. that is ours on the map. Um, and and let's show the world all of the astonishingly amazing shit that goes down in this culture that we built. Um, and to like, if that's the goal, uh, I think it. I think it does a great job of that. I also think it's a great album. Yeah, like, I always just see it as a great, great record. I'm I'm more inclined. To, yeah, I'm like more inclined to think of it as a record than to mm-hmm. think of it as a soundtrack. But I but I agree with Joshua that like if this is the perfect movie soundtrack, then maybe the task is easier than we thought. Maybe it's just uh, don't confuse people, <laughs> which doesn't sound quite satisfying. All right, so I've been actually so curious about this all day. I don't know if people know this. The next pick is always top secret to the two other hosts. And this um, time around, it's Joshua's pick. So what's it going to be? Well, I narrowed my list down uh, quite a bit. And I was actually had a couple different directions I wanted to go. But then at the last minute, as I was just about to uh, decide on a different one, which I won't tell you because I'll save it for a future choice, I realized that... Our episode will be coming out the day after July 4th. 
So mm. I wanted to celebrate. Everybody will be hungover after their long and we're weekend. we're gonna be and sunburned. good medicine for that hangover. <laughs> but people will still be feeling this, the joy and spirit of America, right? The fireworks will still be burned into their corneas, right? The uh, yeah. So so I wanted to build off that, and I decided I wanted to pick uh, a movie that really gets to you know the America, um, the American dream, um, the America we know and love. You know, uh, just put all your superlatives here about America. Land of the free, home of the brave. Land of the free, home of the brave. Absolutely. Uh, what else do we got here? Um, it's going to be born on the 4th of July. Where the Buffalo Roam. Oh, wait. I thought you were talking about the movie. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. It's actually a movie. I didn't yes. pick that. I'm not picking the Bill Murray movie, Where the Buffalo Roam. No. So my choice is American Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I have never, I've never seen it, so I'm excited. Cue I've the never seen it. Banner. I decided not to watch it when it came out, and I, I want to go back because it's referenced constantly, and it has a it long is. life. It, it is, had a yes. longer life than anyone assumed, I think. Yeah, so that's what we'll do. Two weeks, uh, you know. Everybody, get ready. Uh, yeah, pledge allegiance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. If you stay, something bad will happen. Sabrina, why don't you dance a little? Christy, get down on your knees. Can we go now? We're not through yet. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Thanks for listening. If this is your first episode since listening to our interview with the makers of Hustle, welcome. And hope you'll enjoy the back catalog where you find out a little bit more about this project that we are on. We got another special episode coming for you in the middle of July that we'll announce here in a couple weeks. But let me just give you a heads up that you might want to start thinking about your big summer songs. We're going to want to hear from you for this one. Also want to take a moment to give a plug to the Spotify playlist that we've been putting together of all the episodes we've done. It's getting really eclectic at this point. Uh, you know, something for everyone for sure. You can find links to that on Twitter or Instagram at TPMS Podcast. As always, we love to hear from you. Love the ratings, the reviews. For Heather and Matt, this is Joshua, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode of The Perfect Movie Soundtrack.